Hi, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about confidence. Before we begin though, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. So Mick, for this discussion about confidence, I wanted to look at it from two different perspectives. And I won't go into what they are right now. I want to just like will naturally come across them, I imagine, as we're talking. But in order to kick us off and get us into how I first want to approach what confidence is, I want to ask you this question. Are you confident that this is going to be a good show? Of course, mate. I'm doing the show with you, so definitely got lots of confidence. Your leader's the way. Or leader's astray. Either well, way. I like that. You're going to have confidence to fail as well, so. Yeah, I like that. The reason I ask that like that is just to... When most people talk about confidence, I imagine their mind straight away goes to, oh, this person has confidence in themselves or this person comes across as confidence more as a, a from a personal perspective, whereas I also think it's good to look at confidence from a external objective perspective of, okay, how likely is it that something is going to happen? So when I ask you, are you confident that the show is going to be good? That's an external measure of, okay, how likely do I think that this is going to happen? Yeah, it's a good point. So, yeah, we always think of self-confidence, but really maybe in its in its really uh, rudimental form, it's just a measure, isn't it? So, uh, and I guess what we signify is our ability to change that measure. Um, so it's a measure in anything. What level of confidence do you have in something? Um, or a system can have a, a level of confidence and all the rest of it. So really in its rudimental form or its technical definition, it, it is a measure. Uh, but we always relate it to uh, the emotional connection we have with that measure, I guess. So, yeah, mm. I think it's good to strip that back. And just to help make it a little bit more obvious what we mean by that measure, on the low side, on a low confidence, it's okay, it's unlikely something's going to happen or we believe it's unlikely something is going to happen. It could also be, just in saying that, it can be both subjective and objective. We can get the data from somewhere else like a different measuring device that suggests it's low confidence or it's high confidence or it could be our own personal opinion that okay it's unlikely or likely that something is going to happen so there is always that as well it's not necessarily that it's from from uh our personal perspective but it could be from an objective perspective from a machine or a device or whatever it is yeah how likely an outcome is i guess isn't it so like uh if it's low confidence the likelihood of the outcome is uh, low and then if it's high confidence the likelihood it's high, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, The reason I like to I, – I bring it up and I want to look at confidence from this perspective mainly is to say that there are no certainties in life. Everything is really just a measure of confidence. You know, the, the more something happens, the more consistently it happens, the more confident we are that it's going to happen tomorrow. For example, the sun will likely rise tomorrow. I'm confident the sun's going to rise tomorrow, but it's far from certain that the sun actually rises tomorrow. There are so many things and infinite number of possible reasons that the sun won't actually come up tomorrow. But because it's been consistent, because we understand like the environment around us, we look at it and we say, oh, it's likely that it's going to come up tomorrow. I have confidence that it will come up tomorrow. It's an interesting point. So it's kind of like decoupling two things here. It's like the measure, which we actually use, which is maybe what we'll say in the beginning, the technical definition but then your ability to have a level of confidence about the sun coming up is based on prior history, prior prior knowledge. So because it's come up for yourself and many ancestors before you, there's a high likelihood that's going to come up tomorrow. But 
how much do we actually know about the world w- which we live in. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty confident that we do. And that's why we're confident the sun comes up, I guess. Mm. Do you do you tend to look at things through the lens of, like I'm trying to suggest we do confidence as in it's likely or it's unlikely that something's going to happen? Or do you look at things and you say it's certain, it's guaranteed, I can almost like, like it's more of a... I think I try and always start off the baseline of uh, pure, like I think it's always how much cert, uncertainty there's always uncertainty. So I don't think I've ever really think about something from the point of view of being 100% certain, even if you might feel it is. I think it's always good to, particularly in the way I try to speak as well, is I believe this or I think this or I, um, from what I understand, you know, you use that language because it allows you to be open-minded enough that something can change. So you really, whenever you say something, you only know that based on, the experience and the knowledge you have at that point in time, that can change tomorrow, I guess. So, um, uh, yeah, so I don't try – I try not to do, have any certainty. I mean, some things you fall in the trap of being certain about. I guess what's interesting about it when I think about it too is that it ties in with uh, people's risk appetite. So I think there's probably a direct relationship between your level of confidence, how much risk you take, um, or – it, it does have an impacting factor anyway. So, yeah, um, maybe we're all born with different risk level uh, appetites, but your level of confidence and the willingness to take risk are probably tied together. Yeah, I agree. There is, I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to how we feel towards something if we are confident in it, confident in our ability. It comes down to, like you said, there are risk and our levels of risk taking that we are comfortable with then there's also there's there's also an error in us for some things judging that level of risk so we may be comfortable with a certain level of risk but we may incorrectly assess the actual level of risk of doing something so it's more dynamic than uh than just you know there's one thing that we look at and we say oh yeah i'm sure we can do that or not yeah so i think the risk part of it i was thinking about this and it's a little bit inverse of what you might typically think about confidence is really a lot of what you do is the how much confidence you have in uh, the outcomes of it failing. So like if you take risk, you basically base that off the weight in which the, uh, if you get it wrong, will impact you. So I guess your confidence to fail in that situation is also important because some people aren't confident to fail, particularly in a room. So if you think about, if you t- let's think about uh, public speaking. So I reckon a lot of, my, my guess would be a lot of people's challenge around public speaking is impacted by their uh, confidence level of what people think about them and if they fail. So if you actually removed the fact of failing at that point, people might uh, automatically be more comfortable so I guess the ability to fail, your confidence to fail actually impacts your confidence to approach a, a particular topic, anything you do, activity, event, whatever. That would be more like the risk is different, wouldn't it? If you say like you are public speaking and there's people in the room versus there isn't people in the room, the risk is different because if there's people in the room, you could look like a fool or you could, you know, you stuff up a word and then, you know, there's people that could judge you whereas if there's no one. So wouldn't would you think that's more of a level of uh, – changes the level of risk, not necessarily the confidence in actually being able to deliver. 
it's interesting to think about that way because it's also a perception of risk. So is there really a risk of you failing in that conversation? What, what's, the, what's the tangible outcome of that? Is it that everyone in the room will hate you? It's probably unlikely. Like if you think about when you do public speaking or any kind of speaking in front of a crowd, that's the example we're kind of using at the moment, is that the risk level is different to you than to those watching. No, I don't think anyone in the crowd really goes, oh, unless maybe they've paid thousands of dollars to talk to you and then you fail. But in most situations, I think that um, they probably don't really, there's not a big risk to them whether you pass or fail. It's really your perception of that. So to you, the level of risk is high because you think that everyone in the room will think you're a fool if you fail, but everyone in the room will go, oh, it's just another person. So yeah, I guess it is, it, it impacts your level of uh, uh, risk, but I don't know if it's more perception and uh, whether it's your confidence to actually fail. It, there's a lot, I guess there's, a, well, as we talk through this now, I think there's a lot of emotional uh, factors into your level of confidence, which is a really interesting thing. So we go back to the technical term, it's just a measure, but really the way in which we perceive confidence or the way maybe we we generally understand the term is actually the emotional connection to that. And I think it's important to decouple the two. Yeah, even when you were talking there about the example, I'm like, it sounds, it's, it's getting a little bit too confusing, it feels. So it's like, okay, let's break it back to, let's bring it back to, I want to go back to first um, just using it more in general as a term of, you know, how likely something is to happen or that, that kind of thing. And I wanted, I want to do that first to suggest that it's, I found it personally. I used to be the type of person who well, I still am so to a degree because you can never kick it, but like, who's always prepared for something who always, you know, needs things to go a certain way. Okay. I'm planning it out. It's got to go this way. I want it, this to happen. I want that to happen. It always had to be, this is going to happen. Otherwise, like I'm screwed and then I'd feel the weight of that. Whereas when I f- finally realized that, hang on, it's always, there is no certainty that things are going to go the way that I plan out, the way that I see it. It's always just a confidence level. So when I restructured the way I perceived the world based off of that, now when I do something and it doesn't work out, it's like, it's all right. That was always an option. So like it's it helps to keep me more calm, more peaceful. Like let things just happen, be more comfortable with uncertainty. So the re- main reason I wanted to present confidence in in a um, sense of okay, how likely we feel something is to happen is to also, if you can train yourself to see the world and to see events in that light, it kind of helps you when they don't go the way that you plan because you're like okay, that was always an option. I was always prepared that that could happen, and I'd taken that into account. So do you feel that, that that's like an interesting way to look yeah, at the world or a helpful way to look at the world? I don't know. From a very early age, I don't know why this is the case. I think I had a lot of independence as I grew up. So like as a kid, I was allowed to do a lot of things. Um, so to me, uh, I've always seen whatever I do as a journey. So I've never actually had the concept that I'm going to get it right um, kind of thing. So I'll get it like – so whenever I approach an experience, I just see that, okay, I'll be better than what I was when I started. So, and by doing that way, I think I've had a lot of confidence in able to do things because it, the, the fact that I'm going to fail isn't, is always there. So it's always like, oh, I'm going to fail. it. I can't get a hundred percent right. Like whatever you do, it's even now as a professional, like if I do something professional that I, w- I know really, really well, 
and there's enough steps in it. One of those steps is just my focus or whatever will happen, me being an emotional, a human being, that one of those steps will be wrong. So I always have the concept of, you know, you're sort of 70, 80% there kind of thing. If you're real, really good at something, you might be 90%. You're never going to be 100%. So, uh, yeah, I guess I've approached it from a, a little bit of a different view in that I never really – I think the idea about being prepared, that's very important too. So, like, like there's a lot of people who will just take risk. And I probably did this at, at a younger age where I just went – threw myself into something I had no idea about and I'll just take it straight off the bat. Um, and just put my head in and go, oh, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I, I'm not going to die, so uh, I'm only going to make a fool of myself or hurt myself or whatever. Um, as I got older, I realised, okay, yeah, it's it's good to actually put a bit of thought in before you do something. Um, so, yeah, I just put enough thought in that I go, all right, well, you know, that's the practical time I can stand, spend in order to think about this thing. Now it's time to actually do it. Um, and I think that that's what I've got better at, I guess, when I was younger because of that, the way I approached um, uh, maybe failure or, or just doing activities. I didn't give myself enough time to really think through something. So um, it was always something I remember at school, like got a lot of potential but just rushes through things or, or does those things because um, for me it was just getting all different experiences. If it's the same experience, I'm like, oh, well, this is boring. I need to do something new. So just rush through it and get something new. But now these days I realise that it's important to actually sit with something over a period of time because not only do you think about it more, you actually come back at it from different perspectives. So how I think about something today will change by tomorrow. And I think by having enough of those different moments where I see it from different perspectives, it prepares myself for something. Um, and then I've thought it from a few different angles and then when I go do it, at least I've got – uh, at least I'm not – at least I've actually a, a bit prepared, I guess, than rather than just jumping in on the day. I think the main difference is we had, uh, by the sounds of it and by what we've talked about, we've had various different <laughs> growing up. Like we've kind of – me and you came to the same point in life, like the way we view things is very similar now. But our beginnings are very different. Like you're saying, you were more open to taking chances and uh, whatever happens, happens type thing, whereas – for me, it was definitely more structured. It was like more things have to go a certain way. Otherwise, you know, people would stress, people would get angry, all that kind of thing. And so that kind of bred it into me to be more worried about things going off in a different way. And that's why when I bring up this this perspective of seeing um, everything as a level of confidence, that kind of helped me to be like, oh, okay, things don't have to go a certain way. And then the other way to to deal with that for myself is to look at times previously when things have went a way that I didn't expect, but still, you know, you get through them, you get over them, you know, all these things that happen to you in life, all these experiences that you have. And then if you don't actually look back and say, Oh, hang on, we got, I got through them. I, I'm sure I can get through something if it happens similarly again tomorrow. And so that, that, that's really helped me to get over it and be more comfortable with things going um, like that uncertainty happen. Yeah, I, I agree. Like uh, I think the way in which we school kids, we always uh, – it's changed a little bit but maybe not in the right direction. But I think the way in which we school uh, school kids, it's always like a success or failure and it's not actually just a story. So like to me, whatever you do is like just a story. So like I'm just building my chapter book up, kind of or my book up of uh, who I am. So uh, 
I, I mean, obviously the, you know, when you're in a workplace or when you're in school, there are points at which you actually, um, succeed or fail, you're measured upon. Um, but I think that, uh, the weight of what that actually means to people is probably not well adjusted. So we always put a heavy amount of weight and that, oh, we need to get to this point. We need to be here. This is where we need to be. That's good from a motivational point of view, but then if that stifles your ability to take experiences on, then it's actually uh, negative. It has a negative impact on your growth. Um, because like you said before, if you get into situations where you're not confident to do something, time doesn't stop. That's, that's one thing I think we all know. That's probably the, the thing that we know at least with the highest level of certainty, uh, with the highest level of confidence is that time keeps ticking. doesn't matter. Yeah. If time did stop, we wouldn't notice because the, yes. the, the reason we notice things is because of change. Yes. So if there was yes. no time, if everything was static, yeah. we couldn't have this conversation. There'd nothing no would happen. Mm. It'd just be an image. Nothing, yeah. Nothing's changing. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to even observe the image because in order for us to observe what's happening, yes. we need time to happen yes. to, for us. To, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, it's a good point. So um, if you think about from a time point of view, time keeps going. It's not going to change for your emotions. The, you know, the, your lifespan is not going to, I mean, obviously there's things that impact your lifespan and health and all the rest of it. But the reality is, is as long as you can live is as long as you can live. So to me, it's always been, I think I was, because I had the, my parents allowed me to do a lot of things as a kid and didn't really, there was certain, certain things about uh, safety and all the rest that they, they stressed about. But I think I was allowed to do a lot of different things. And from an early age, it was like, I was allowed to fail. So, and I think that that was really important. Whereas, I, uh, maybe kids come out of school or their home environment where they're, then they're in situations of frightened to fail, and that really impacts your ability to actually take experiences on. And uh, that does, from my point of view, had a, a big impact on your level of confidence. You 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 can't confidently fail. You're just going to wait, wait until you can succeed, and that waiting, you just join up time. So you're better off failing five times and then succeeding on the sixth and, you know, waiting a long period of time and trying to succeed on the second or third. It reminds me of something that we've talked about a lot in the past that, you know, with people who grew up with hardware solutions, there was a greater cost to failing. Whereas people who grew up with computers, with software solutions, if you failed, if you, you know, did something, if you were exploring and something happened, you could usually reset to the previous state. You didn't have to worry about it. Whereas if you're using something mechanical, something that could actually injure you for a longer term, like think of the cost to stuffing up with the computer. All right. What's the worst you can do? Whatever. Blue screen. Okay. Reset. Okay. Reformat, whatever. You can always get it back to that certain point. But if you're using like a, um, I don't know, a lawnmower or something, and you use it incorrectly, you could chop off a toe, you could, you know, really damage, really injure yourself. So there was always that. And so for people who, I guess, it's interesting because I'm younger than you, but I'm the one who yeah. <laughs> grew up with, you know, yes. more worried uh, parents. For people who grew up with the more mechanical side, there was always a greater cost to kids stuffing up. So I guess they put a more, more of an emphasis on making sure that you did things correctly. Like there was more of a, yeah, more of a lasting uh, issue yeah so i guess in that instance it's about your ability to assess risk from a safety point of view so in actual fact if i think about what you said there and i think about my upbringing i did do mechanical stuff and also did computer stuff 
I think not only my level of independence from an early age, but my ability to actually interact with computers from a very early age probably also changed my uh, ability to take risk on. So, and then doing it mechanically also did. So there's, or, or even just physically connecting electrical devices together and, you know, creating the magic smoke. Um, so you're right, like there's physical systems that we actually use and then I guess... I don't know, software-based systems is, I don't know, the better term to, to say that. But, yeah, software-based systems, the consequences of your actions are a lot lower than a physical-based system. So, but then it's your ability to assess risk. So I would, at this point, it would be good to separate risk and confidence. So you're confident, like, because really you need a level of confidence to assess risk as well. So... If you have a low level of confidence to assess the risk, then you're not you're more likely to be reserved. I guess just trying to separate the two. You can Yeah, it's it's difficult. Mm. Because they they you can be confident that you can do something, but still the level of risk can be so high that it's not worth it, even though you're yes. fairly certain. So I need, I need more time to think through that one. So I'm not going to, I won't, I won't waste the, the time now and trying to go into it a bit more, but do you have anything more to say about I would say you confidence? can, yeah. So I would say that I would say I can be very conservative at times if I know the risk is very high. So, you know, if it's something that I think I'm going to lose the limb or lose my life on, I'm not going to take that risk. So yeah, there is a decoupling. All I would say is there's a decoupling. There's definitely a difference between confidence and risk, although they're very uh, related. They have, they're a factor of each other. Um, they're very different. You definitely use com your level of confidence to take on risk. So, yeah, but I, I think, I think we better push on yeah, because, yeah, yeah, I know we both feel like there is something there yeah. to explore, but I think How best trying to, to explore it, so. it now is a bit difficult. Quickly going back to what you were saying about um, school and success and failure in uh, a test or whatever and how important that is and placing like a ridiculously high <laughs> importance on something that really means very little in the grand scheme of things. Regardless what you're doing, if you just look at it as I succeeded or I failed at this one thing, you're missing out on everything else you gained along the way. Like even though you may fail at doing something, even though I may fail at pouring a glass of water, right? I've learned that, oh, okay, if I do this motion, it's not going to hit the glass. So you've actually, it, it's when you can train yourself to see what you learn from everything, it's impossible to fail. You may fail at what you were initially trying to do, but you've gained somewhere else. And so that's always, it's always possible to see that. Like it's when you see people who are you know, always looking for the silver lining, that's what they're doing. They're just looking at, okay, we were trying to achieve something. We didn't get that. So what is it that we actually achieved then? Because something happened, time time passed, something happened. So what is that thing that we gained from it? Yeah, it's a good point. I think we touched upon this in another episode or if we haven't, I'm sure we will in the future. So it's just, I would say, I mean, it's really how you depend what is success and what is failure. To me, success is growth. Like, um, so the ability, like we all start off at different levels. I think we've talked about this before. So um, you have to really, you can't compare yourself against someone else because you might have started at a higher, a lower level. So really that, that self-comparison is really important. So um, if you measure success as growth, 
well, you succeeded when you said before that you failed to actually put the water in the glass, but you succeeded because you actually learnt and grew in that period of time. So the next time you do it, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I need to improve the action. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it's to move it this way a bit more or be too closer to the cup or whatever it is. And even if you failed again two or three times, you're still succeeding in the objective of growth. So it's really about, and maybe that's what we, we don't do well. We, we idolize certain people um, we, or we idolize what it is that we want to be um, successful towards. So whether they be rich, famous, these are common ones. Um, and so we tie our level of success to how close we are to that rather than um, just the individual growth that you actually have. And maybe that gets overlooked. Yeah. And if you really want to see that in action, watch a child, a young child trying to learn <laughs> to do something. Or if you're more interested in computers, watch a like machine learning computer trying to do something. You see it fail a whole bunch of times, but eventually it gets there. Yes. So it's really cool to, to, to see that. But I want to bring us back to another idea that I have that society is built on confidence. Confidence that we will respect one another, confidence that we will honor our agreements, confidence that the rules tomorrow are going to be similar, very similar to what they are today, like unlikely to change very much. And when you take away that confidence, that's when society starts to break down. Does that make sense to you? Do you agree with that? That's, that's an interesting take. Yes. I would say that in that arena, there's something to do with trust and confidence. So when you put it in a social context, um, yes, there's there's a link. Now we're linking rather than risk. Uh, maybe risk is still in there, but yeah, there's trust as well. What is, can you give me a distinction between trust and confidence? Uh, confidence is the measure. Trust is the action almost. So that's the way I would perceive the difference between the two. So, tr so in order for me to provide you with trust, I kind of have to be honest with myself. Yeah. So if I make a mistake, it's incumbent on me to make sure I at least be aware of that mistake. If I try and hide it internally and I go, Oh, I, I didn't make, that was someone else's fault. You know, like, uh, no, no, that was that person's fault. And, it, and instead of taking responsibility for that mistake, then what happens over a period of time, at some point you're going to lose trust in me because um, at some point you're going to realise actually this guy is not aware of uh, the what what he's doing kind of thing. So I feel like trust is something to do with the action and then the confidence is the measure. So like it's almost the measure of how likely I can trust someone. So confidence is, oh, can I, can I trust this person is going to do what they did yesterday and, and, and stick to their agreement or are they going to change their mind and uh, not do that? Then that's the level of confidence I have. So if you're not a trustworthy person, I'm going to, my confidence level with you is going to be low. If you're a trustworthy person, I'm going to, my confidence level is probably going to be higher. Yeah. So trust is more of a, yeah, like you said, confidence is a measure. Trust is the action. Trust mm. is more the presentation of how you feel about mm. someone, whether you can, whether you're confident that you can yes. rely on them or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, that's a, that's what first came to mind anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably a better definition between the two, but I think, yeah, immediately that's what sort of distinguish the difference. Yeah. But do you agree that if you, if we start losing confidence in the structures of yeah. society that, society breaks down yes yeah 
I mean, that's really what social structure is all about, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, you can't – how can we ever enter into any agreement between each other if we uh, have no level of confidence that we'll all – we both execute it? So I think there's a really good thing. I don't know if you did this when you're at school at some point in time, but there's – I think there's a task, and you probably correct me if I'm a little bit wrong, but there's something about where you've got to do something blindfolded and someone's got to walk – walk you around from one place to another or at least falling backwards. I think there's a classic one, isn't it? So you're blindfolded, someone sits behind you and you've got to have the confidence to fall back and they'll grab you. So you can imagine if I can't trust you in that situation, what, what do you reckon? You know, the confidence is going to be low. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, so, it's, it's a team building uh, exercise, mm, those types mm. of things. But even there, I mean, you could expand it to be like, all right, I trust you because there's other people around. So if you drop me, you're going to look like a fool. But, you know, yeah. in a situation where no one's looking, what are they going to do? So yeah. it's a little bit difficult to say it translates to every situation. But, yeah. It's an example, I guess. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So you're right. I mean, yeah. I know. I'm just trying to – when I elaborate on things and I try and pull it in different directions, I'm just doing that in order to try and, again, get get us thinking, get us like, okay, yeah. what does this actually mean? What could this mean? Mm. again and then there, there's your measure of confidence if, if if it happens in this situation am i confident that it's going to happen in another situation are there other factors i need to take in not that they just did it this one time like what's their history like what are they like when i interact with them yeah that's a again i think that's like um that really ties back to like a trial and error and, and confidence to to go out there and fail like so like you said there, like I always come from the approach, I don't know if I've done this before as well, like um, you try and break something and that's how you become more confident with it. So if you can't, if you pick apart a problem or an idea from many different angles and you really try to break it, what that's really doing is you're building up confidence that that's at least the most certain thing that you've got at this point in time. So if you don't do that groundwork and you just attack it from one angle, I think your confidence is low. You can, I think you can see this in people when they become defensible. So like I think there's a, a common trait which people do is that they will convince themselves that something is true by the first rational way it's presented to them. So for instance, I might say to you, um, let me think of something. Um, so if I can rationalise to you that uh, um, uh, fat, fat, in food is good for you, right? What will happen is you will go, oh, okay, that all made sense. So I'm going to base my my any future thoughts on that information. So I've solidified it, right? Now you haven't challenged it at that point. You've only taken it from one angle. Now what will happen is the next time someone uh, challenges you on that, there's a, a critical point. Do you allow them to challenge you on that or do you defend like do you become too defensive that you can't allow them to challenge that on that? And so in a lot of situations I've seen people take one point and then they will base their knowledge on that point and then they will become very defensive when anyone challenges on that instead of actually pulling it apart and allowing that person to actually try and break it down. So, um, yeah, and I think that that defensive nature is an unconscious aspect of them being not fully confident with it but they don't want to do the work it takes to actually challenge the idea mm. so uh yeah hope that makes a bit of sense but yeah i, f I feel that i've seen that maybe lot. maybe a bit of um laziness or trying to save yes. energy yeah 
it's like an unconscious thing. They want to save energy or be lazy. So it's much easier to just shut down someone else and go with the thing that you first learnt than actually have an open mind and allow that to be challenged because now you've got to think more about it. Yeah. And it's often difficult to see the long-lasting consequences of doing or of Mm. behaving in such a way because it's usually not immediately that you see the repercussions of believing a certain thing that you've been told once. And then, yeah, that's, that's how a lot of people get away with it when they are trying to deceive, trying to manipulate is to present something that they know okay if this person believes me it's not going to affect them today but it may affect them a years down the line but by that time i'm gone so i don't care so i'll just make yes. sure that it works today yes and then I'll, they can worry about that later yeah that's exactly right but when you when you say that kind of stuff it made me think of uh bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in that the the when you're looking at the blockchain you look at how many how many blocks have been added since your since your um, transaction and they call it confirmation. So if one block's been added, that's one. If two blocks have been added, that's two. So it's sort of a similar thing. You're waiting to see, okay, how many times have I been told this information before I'll actually say, you know what, actually maybe it is true and I'll start to consider it and use it and apply it. So I think you, we can, I use the royal, you not you specifically. I think we should, when we hear something, have a intuition in ourselves or develop an intuition of, okay, I've heard it once. I'm either going to explore it on my own or I'm going to wait until I hear it from a bunch of different sources until then it's like, okay, I've got enough confirmations that I'm confident now that this is accurate. Now I'm going to actually put that into action and use that in my daily life. Yeah, you're right. Like uh, I think the idea of consensus definitely impacts your level of confidence in anything. But what's really interesting about, I think, consensus is it can actually be the inverse. So the popular notion at that point in time, so for instance, I can't remember the historical characters in this event, but the you know the confidence level that the world was flat at one point was really high because of consensus. Um, but in reality, it was still it was round, um, and it took a long time for that consensus to change. I guess at some point it changed. I don't know what the historical events are, but consensus is definitely an important factor. But I'd also be cautious about consensus being the only factor as well so there's still i guess you always want to play from the park that you're still uncertain even though everything from your point of view shows consensus so it's always okay i've got consensus but there's still always a level of uncertainty yeah you should always be open to okay maybe this is wrong like although everyone agrees with it well everyone is not everyone in the way I'm trying to use it like a, a high probability or high amount of people use it doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct yes or that you may have overlooked something so I, I've got an analogy that I've used before about this is that um, so you can imagine if you dig a hole in your backyard you fill it with water and you basically sit there and record the time that the water dissipates and you go okay that's the absorption level of the soil and you go okay I've done this plenty of, uh, I've done this plenty of times during the middle of the day. I've done it day after day and it works the same. But what you might not take into account is that the actual sun is evaporating the water. So you've automatically fooled yourself in that, oh, I've been able to repeat this day after day, but the temperature of, you know, the evaporation rate was very similar. And so your level of error was like slightly that it felt like, oh, okay, there was some play in the absorption of the material. So it's a really good example of you might have consensus, you may have confidence that you're right, but the reality is you've actually missed an important factor. Yeah, you've made an assumption that you've taken everything into consideration, all the relevant factors into consideration. That's cool. I want to 
move on to confidence more. I mean, we've been talking about it a little bit in this way, but confidence more in a measure of uh, how how um, how we feel about ourselves, how we f- present to others. The, I'm clearly unconfident now in the way I was <laughs> speaking about this, but I, I want to say it in that to me, confidence is a belief in one's capability. So that's that's how it comes across but that's not necessarily the case. So I've got four combinations here. The first one is you can be doubtful of yourself and you can also be incompetent. So you've, in a way, you've accurately measured your, your, your capability, which is actually a good thing. <laughs> you can be doubtful of yourself, but you can be confident, competent. So you could actually be able to do something, but you're doubtful in your ability to do so, which is kind of like a waste of talent, unrealized potential. Then there's the dangerous one, which is you're confident, but you're incompetent. So you believe you can do something, but you can't in reality actually do that thing or yeah, you're not very good at it. And then there's what we all, I assume, kind of strive for is that we are confident in ourselves and we're also competent at what we what we are trying to do. Does that make sense to you? It does. Do you, do you sit in one arena? I guess it depends. I mean, it's hard to say how do you know if you're competent or incompetent, like that's someone else to judge, but there's definitely... It really depends on which, what, what aspect of life you're talking about. If it's confidence to go up to someone and just have a conversation with them, then for me, that would be like very low. If it's confidence to solve a mathematical or logical problem, then I'd say, yeah, just give me time and I'll get it done. Like, yeah, it really depends on what area you're looking at. So the one that you said dangerous, do you ever feel that you actually enter that area? Yeah. And what, and what points would you enter that area? That's interesting. <laughs> I try to see this is where I think it um, it it's, depends on how uh, adventurous you are, how risk averse you are. Like to me, uh, me, I'm a very risk averse person, so I don't go too far out of my depth. I'm always trying to grow it, but I don't go too far out of my depth. So I, I even if I'm doing something that I I have little experience in, I understand that I have little experience in, so I try and develop experience around it in order to be competent at it. So maybe the better question is, okay, so I, I think you've got those four really right and I actually like the fact that you put them in four different terms. I guess when do you use each one? It seems like you you you, you don't have a preference for which one – or you might have a preference but you don't necessarily just stick to one. So if you don't necessarily stick to the one, when and why do you use each one? That's interesting. I, didn't even, I, I wasn't really considering it in that way that we are each – um, uh, fit into that category <laughs> at various times. I was thinking it more in terms of like an individual will be. But yeah, that's a good question. Can you elaborate yeah, so that like, on anymore? Uh, let, let's go through them one by one. So tell the first one. So you're doubtful of your abilities and you're also incompetent or incapable. Okay, so that's generally when you become a, a, com- a common situation where that might happen is if you're very new to some some, uh, what do you call it, topic or something that you're doing. So, for instance, if I was go to do rock climbing, uh, that's how I'd feel. I'd stand back, I'd be the fly on the wall, I would very much stand back and watch and that's because I'm not confident and I'm very, what was it, doubtful? Was it? Doubtful, I used, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm very doubtful in my abilities and low confidence. So uh, low confidence, doubtful, same thing. I was yes. just trying to yep. give it a different So then the next one, what's the next one? 
you're doubtful of your abilities, but you're actually competent at doing whatever it is. Yeah. So I think that's always actually an important one to get at some point in time because it keeps you in check. Yeah. So you don't want to be like arrogant. So that's prevents you from being arrogant at some points in time. You, you've got a high level of competency. So you might be uh, the best person positioned in that job that you're doing and you're the best person to, to undertake the task, but the challenge which is presented to you is new. And so your confidence may be low uh, because you haven't had that experience. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what uh, imposter syndrome is. Yes. In that you feel yes. like you shouldn't be here, but actually, you know, you are, you're well suited to whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, you're right. So maybe people with imposter syndrome, you are in that zone more than they should be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a good one. It's interesting. I like analyzing it this way because, yeah, it is. You, you probably should have a balance between the four. I of feel them. like, it. yeah. So, what's the third one, Dan? That's the risky one, isn't it? Confident. And incompetent. <laughs> okay. So my immediate fact is like I think you used this before is uh, let's say I was in high school and I wanted a girlfriend. At some point I think you have to enter that zone. You have to be confident to go ask a girl out, yeah, but you or, or, or a boy, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, but uh, you're completely, you might be completely incompetent at that point in time. So it's – Maybe, maybe asking someone else, it's not something you can watch, can you? So like if I go back to the rock climbing event, you, you can watch people do that. I don't know if you want to watch people ask other people out. That'd be quite strange. You might get, uh, you might have the police knock on your door. But yeah, yeah. so that's a really good area I think that uh, at some point you need to use that. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, thinking through that one a bit more in depth, when you're in that category of being confident but incompetent, it's really when there's dynamic factors at play there's uh or how would you say like other entities that are capable of making decisions other agents at play like other human beings or an animal or something that's alive really whereas if it's something static it's i don't know i I find that you're more likely to be able to figure your way around that yes to me that that one is actually you want to use it for motivation so like at some point, so let, let's go to the first one, which is you're incompetent and doubtful. Some point you have to cross that bridge. So you might have to increase your level of confidence in order to cross that bridge in order to give it a go. So uh, in some situations you don't have to do that. You can actually build that over a period of time. Sometimes you have to actually do a step change. So I'd imagine asking someone out, it's a step change. You, you go from never doing it to you have to do it kind of thing or you do do it. And so it's a big step change. It's not something you can really watch other people do, um, but you need to draw on your – you need to boost your confidence up to give you the motivation to go do it. Yeah. I think we were saying this in the last one that – or maybe we were just – when we were talking amongst ourselves that some things you, – you can't evaluate what you haven't done before. You have to actually have that experience. So, yeah, it is in this. It's, it's when you're approaching something and you – don't have any experience, any exposure to it. It's like the only way really is to jump in, uh, do that step change, like you said, and get that experience. And then I guess after that point, you have to kind of be like, okay, now that I have that understanding, that awareness, then I can start actually, you know, figuring out where do I need to improve? Where am I good at? Yeah. Kind of thing. And what was the last one? It's the confident and competent. Yeah. So I would not get stuck in that zone because you wouldn't grow. You just be you'd always do things that you're confident with, I guess. So it's good to do that because I think that 
Yeah, so as you go through the four, what's really good about them is I think that you need to draw on each one at different points in time in your life. And if you weigh, if you gravitate to one, then it's kind of like you, you, you're putting that out of balance. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, when I was writing this these notes, I didn't think of it in that way. I was thinking of it more in terms of if you're going to rely on someone else, if someone is confident or presents as confident, but he's actually incompetent. That's very dangerous. You've yes. got to be very careful of that person. Yes, you do. You do. But it's it's also interesting if you take that, that uh, asking someone out analogy, it can – I was thinking about this, the lyre bird. What is it? The, I think it's the lyre bird that uh, – a lot of birds do this. They actually um, present colour or present their feathers or they'll – Peacock maybe. Yeah, the peacock, sorry. The, not the lyre bird, the peacock. So it represents feathers. I guess all they're doing is that they're, they're showing a level of confidence be Probably, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to say, but maybe beyond their own uh, feelings. So like they're doing that in order to gain attraction. Um, so I guess humans can do the same or they can they can do that in certain situations to when they interact with someone else. So if you think about um, a fighting, everyone, always, you know, there's a certain posture and a certain way you come across that uh, you need that level of confidence and that can actually impact the other person's level of confidence in order to beat you. So it's really interesting. Yeah, there's so many different um, avenues on this, I think. It's interesting that when you put it that way that you may need that confidence in order to attract the person because it could be that you are you come across as confident or you're very confident in that area but in every other area you're you know, doubtful of yourself or incompetent. Whereas for someone else, it might be that they're very competent in every other area, but that one area they're not. And, but because of that, they can't attract. Yeah. I mean, if you think about why we, you know, you think about particularly teenagers, you think about why they have branding clothes, why they gel their hair, why females wear makeup, uh, all those kind of things, they, they all uh, impact the person's level of confidence. And, as a teenager, it's to either draw and attract friends or to draw and attract opposite, you know, whoever you, uh, what you want a partner or something like that. I guess that's periods where the confidence that you're showing is higher than the confidence that you feel. Um, and so while we probably always say you shouldn't do that, there's probably important key points that you need to do that at certain points in time because you won't break a barrier. Um, so it's kind of valuable in certain contexts. Yeah, even when you're playing at being confident or you're playing at being something that you're not, it's actually leading you towards that. Yeah, yeah. Like in order to get somewhere, you have to actually It's like motivation. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a motivation to do something you're not confident about. So you kind of have to, yeah, it's really interesting. So before we used a technical term and we can sort of measure a level of confidence, but I think as humans, and this is what I think we we're trying to decouple at the beginning, is there's an emotional connection to that. And so the way in which you emotionally can change your level of confidence is different to a system. System has a certain level of confidence and it has no uh, maybe uh, emotional element to it. So it just ranges it from a very technical measure. Whereas with a human, there's a lot of play, like how we measure our own confidence levels or other people's confidence level there's a lot of play that's not technical i guess yeah it's highly dynamic whereas when we're usually evaluating a system we've got a set 
like we, yeah. we, we've structured it in such a way that we're only taking these things into consideration. Whereas for normal interactions amongst humans, there's usually a lot more going on in a lot of places. So it's more difficult to get. Yeah, so the term means the same, but the yeah. context is what's important. Yes. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, I want to, uh, before we close out, I want to talk about, like I said, we usually associate confidence with someone's capability and if you get bad actors, if you get malevolent people, they can use that to their advantage. They can uh, present as confidence, but like I said, that they may not necessarily have any confidence in the background. So can you think of situations where this might be <laughs> occurring? Um, how do we spot it is more, I guess, where I was going at. In terms of like situations, any anyone that's trying to uh, not be a leader, but because a leader wouldn't use that technique, they would, you know, inspire. Anyone who wants to get into a position where they have authority over someone else is likely to be using these tactics. You've got to be careful of that. And then Mick, maybe you can help start us out. How do we spot that in someone? How do we see someone and say, okay, they're presenting as confident, but how do I make sure that that actually is backed up by an actual capability, a competency? Yeah, it's definitely, I'm glad you brought up leadership. I think that's where it's most prevalent. Well, uh, I want to, well, I want to, leadership, we think of it as that, but leadership, we should actually, or for myself, I like to break it out and yeah. say proper leaders don't actually try and take advantage of other people. They try and inspire others or they're down and dirt like in the um, trenches with, with the people that they're trying to be with. You know, they're not trying to take control of other people. They're there to help others. Just, that's just for my own, uh, I, I want to put that out there as that's what leadership is. But sorry, I understand exactly what you're saying. I just wanted to say that. Yes. So maybe the same behavior happens, but the intent is different. So I do think that leadership's, being a leader, you probably have to maybe hit that danger zone at certain points. You have to maybe at certain points be a little bit overconfident in order to make a decision. But I guess what's different is the intent of that intent of why you did that. So if I think about, let's say I think about a natural disaster like the floods or all the rest of it, I'm going to be presented with many options. At some point as a leader, I have to make a decision, yeah? So... At some point, I'm, in, I'm incompetent. I might have never gone through this before, but I have to have the confidence to go, okay, I'm going to make this decision. Now, the intent of the decision is what's important. Am I doing it for the people that have been impacted by the um, uh, natural disaster or is there another uh, objective I'm trying to do and I push it out as that I'm doing it in the best interest of those affected by the natural disaster? I think there's a difference between acknowledging that you have shortcomings and pushing forward with something, pretending you know you have yes, a good understanding and knowledge yes. of how to deal with it. Yes, that's a really good point because I think bad leaders present themselves that they know how. You're right, actually, yeah. Now I think about it more. Uh, a natural leader would go, look, I don't know. This is the way we're going to approach it. That's the best that I've got at this point in time. I, I'm hoping it's going to work. Uh, kind of let's hope for the best, whereas a, a, a maybe a, a leader that could enter in danger is that this this is the way to go forward. I um, uh, That's the only way we can do it. Um, that would close it down. They'd make their decision as that that's the correct one, whereas someone else would maybe uh, be authentic and show that there's they are uncertain, although that they, this is what we're going to do. 
that example is a um, good good way to highlight why I want to try and split leader. And yeah. I don't know what the other term would be, manager possibly, mm. someone yeah. who is in a position and like just is there because they want the control, they want the power, they want the authority over people, not necessarily they're trying to get the best outcome for everyone. That's, that's, that's the only reason I bring up and I make such a big point of, okay, there's a difference between being a leader and being someone in charge. Yeah, so I think actually even though you asked me the question about how you determine this, I think you're already breaking it down. Um, so how actually before I answer it, maybe I'm going to throw it, throw it back to you. How would you, how would you, I mean, that's one way. How would you generally, what would be a general approach in order to highlight, uh, uh, your ability to, uh, figure this out? Uh, I would look at their behavior. Yeah. So anyone who, and I've, I actually wrote a list of things, unwilling to question themselves, like to say, okay, did I make the right decision or is that the wrong decision? Uh, anyone who's unwilling to discuss with others their decision, like if I ask you, oh, why, why are we going with that option? And you're, you're just saying, we're just going with it because I said so. Anyone who's like that, be very careful. That. Anyone who's unwilling to admit fallibility, I think a good leader will always say when they're wrong, they'll always let you know, no, I screwed up. I'm, you know, I'm human. They'll take that on their chest because that's how you improve. If you're unwilling to admit when you fail, well, then you're just going to do the same thing over and over again. Admitting the failure, understanding why you fail is how you get past that, is how you grow from it. So I think that's a telltale sign of someone that's using confidence to take control of others. Um, I can keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah, you <laughs> might as well go through quickly through, through your list, yeah. Anyone who tries to do things quickly, who's impatient, who has a high time preference, which means they put emphasis on doing things fast, I think that's a telltale sign that someone... Because if you have genuine confidence yeah. in yourself yeah. you're willing to be like okay we can take the time i know this is the right way so they'll see it eventually whereas someone who doesn't have that foundation of this is the right thing they're trying to rush it through they don't want you to see the cracks they don't want you to see the faults in it yes because that'll lead yeah. to you you know yeah breaking off from them similar vein like reactionary that's pretty much the same thing so you know they'll make reactions they won't actually take things in consider it and then respond um Use of force, a leader is less likely to use force, whereas someone who, again, we need a good word for this, a manager or something or, you know, someone who wants to take control of you will try and use force. Uh, surface level thinking, this is another one. So, again, if you question them and you try and go depth deeper, you go, okay, I see what you're trying to get out there, but have you considered this? Then they won't have an answer for you. They'll do those other things. They'll, like, shut you down. And then the last one I had here is... Use terms like need. We need to do this. We need to do that as if it's certainty. Again, because coming back to confidence, it's never a certainty. It's never a need. It's never it has to be this way. It's always, okay, we think this is best. You know, the language that we use is important. So pay attention to their behavior and their language. And I think that's how you spot them. That's really good. I think you broke down all the different traits in, I mean, there might be more, but I think breaking down those different traits, I'll agree with all of them. I'm glad you start with behavior. So I'm going to generalize because this is something that I think I've done for a long period of time. It's the best system I know. And that is to listen to people, what they say, and then watch what they do. So if they don't align, you generally know that there's a problem. So in all those behaviors, you can identify, like say, for instance, I'll give you a clear one that's very prevalent at the moment. So we uh, there's a lot of leaders around the world that will uh, you know, 
champion uh, democracy, and yet their actions show dictatorship. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really simple then. You just basically go, oh, they're, they're telling me this, but they're doing the opposite thing. Okay, then they're not well aligned, they're not a good leader, uh, and uh, there's something wrong with the confidence and all the rest of it. Because if someone's telling you something other than what they're doing, then I would say there's... there's Problem. Maybe maybe it's not confidence. Maybe I don't know how to directly relate this to confidence, but I would say there's something there about their level of confidence. So like you said before, I like the one that you said, hurry up. So to speed something up shows a lack of confidence. I would significantly agree with that because if you're confident in your capabilities and you are confident that you have the expertise to do something, then you should be able to confidently convey to someone what it takes to get an outcome. Now, if you're not confident in those, you're going to oversell yourself, aren't you? Straight away, you're going to basically go, oh, I need to convince this person that I'm, I'm capable. It's, so if you need to convince them, you need to convince yourself. So automatically you are in a situation where you're presenting yourself more confidently than what you actually feel. Yeah, very well put. Uh, if you're trying to convince someone else, you're really just trying to convince yourself. Yeah, so yeah. Be very careful of something like that. Yeah. If there is a mismatch between your actions and what you're saying or what your intent is, there's a high probability, again, never a certainty, high probability that they, there's something going on there that they're acting in bad faith, that they're trying to manipulate in some way. It could be that they just don't understand, they, they, they don't understand how their actions are different from what they're saying, in which case you would respond, hang on, I think that, you know, this doesn't align. And then it goes back to, okay, if they're unwilling to take that feedback and answer you, then you can probably say with a even greater certainty, yeah, there's something going on here. That's probably right. And maybe the thing I should have added to that is you don't do it on instance, you do it over a, a series of events. So like I think it's always bad to measure someone on a, on a, a couple of instances. I think what's important is you need a sample size big enough to be able to make that judgment call. Like uh, a lot of people, you know, the old value of um, uh, uh, first impressions count and then never judge a book by its cover. So like first impressions count, yes, but I'd be very careful using that because first impressions are only uh, your ability to make quick assumptions. You should actually then measure that, those assumptions over many instances. So take a first impression and allow it to be proven wrong. Yeah. First, what was it? What was the first impressions count? And then um, don't judge it by book rights. I would say they're both actually good sayings. I like them both. But like you said, they're just starting points. Like, yes, judge a book by its cover. The reason we have covers on books is to give you an idea about what's inside the book, but it doesn't necessarily mean, again, it's a confidence thing. Maybe the 60% confidence I have that that book is going to be what I see on the cover. Maybe there's 60% confidence that what how your first impression is towards me, that's what they're going to be like. But like you said, use every single interaction that you have with someone as a way to build up your understanding of them to, to build up confidence. Because going back to what we were first saying, how it's a measure of, likelihood that's how you would do it if you were doing like a uh what would you call it a uh, study a uh, research into something you would take a whole bunch of data points and then that would give you your confidence level and then as the data points continue to come in you would continually adjust it 
Yeah, one of the worst things you can do. And I understand why we do it because, again, we're trying to conserve energy is to just look at someone and say, okay, yep, I've had one experience with them. That's what they're like. Whereas actually what you should be doing is saying, hang on, over the amount of experiences that I've had with someone, this is what they're really like and continue to develop that as they change. And I think the last thing I'd say about confidence before we wrap up is there's a, I think in order to, I think there was four areas in which we sort of broke down the different states of confidence. I think to get a good balance means that you have to be honest with yourself. So without honesty, I don't think you can navigate those four, keep a good balance of those four states. If you are dishonest to yourself, you're always going to be dishonest to others then. Um, but if you're dishonest to yourself, you'll directly impact um, your ability to assess those different states of confidence and when to use them correctly. Yeah, I agree. The, the most important thing is to be honest because, yeah, otherwise <laughs> you, you, you need to be, you should be dealing in reality. If you're, if you're dealing in some made up world that you, you know, things are going to go differently. They're not going to align with you. You're always putting an effort to maintain this fictional world that you've got in your mind. So again, if you're trying to be as low energy as possible, then it just pays to be honest because it's always going to align with reality. You don't have to put in extra work to make it real. It already is. Yes. So I think maybe I'll take this term, reflection. So reflection is important in order to navigate those those states of confidence. So garbage in, garbage out. If you actually throw dishonest information in, you're going to get garbage out. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you throw in good honesty, you're going to get good output. Nice. For, for the state, for your ability to reflect. Yeah. You happy to leave it there? Yeah, happy to leave happy it there. Happy to leave it there. Yeah. All right. My supplemental song suggestion for today is Shaka's, I think that's how you say it, Strength of an Ox. And then my quote is, argue as if you were right, but listen as if you were wrong. And I have that attributed to Bob Sutton. So thanks for joining us for this discussion. This is just the beginning and we look forward to continuing it with you. Until next time, be well.